last time on the Cellcast, the animated series. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. <laughs> I hate sand. It's coarse, it's rough, and it gets everywhere. It's a good thing it had knees. So stay away from Talos 4 then. <laughs> so I found myself cringing, but at the same time laughing my head off. Do you know what do you know about Orion Orions? Nothing. Female Orion specifically. Uh nothing. Okay. So you are unaware of the green animal women of Orion. Vaguely. As they have been described. Mariner. Right? Mariner. Mariner. I'm gonna get this right eventually. Mariner is her daughter. It's the other word for a person of the sea, a mariner. Oh, okay. You've heard of the rhyme of the ancient mariner? Yes. Same word. Mariner. Mariner. Okay. It's, it's a herbivore. No. Uh, she wants your. She wants some juice. Oh. <laughs> That's because I'm glad Her I'm not Boimler in this episode. <laughs> Me either. Everyone, everyone, protect the, the slime. slime. Cartoons, the animated frontier. These are the voyages of the Cellcast podcast. Its continuing mission to explore strange new cartoons, to seek out new animation styles and new creative storytelling methods to boldly go where so few ever go again. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Cellcast, the animated series. Joining me today is a man who's just another Starfleet dog, Jacob. Rough. Thanks. <laughs> Why, thank you. Like, introduce our co-host, a man who got a free confused with a Bolon. Bolian. Whatever. Welcome, Drew. This is almost as bad as you mispronouncing Star Trek every episode. <laughs> uh, how are you doing, Jacob? I am doing uh, tricky spectacular. Alrighty, then. Uh, today we are reviewing uh, Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 2, Envoys, which was directed by Kim Arndt and written by Chris Kula. Uh, summary for this episode, after a high-profile mission goes awry, Boimler is further plagued with self-doubt when Mariner proves herself to be a more naturally talented uh, crewman than he is. Rutherford quits his job in engineering and, ex- and explores other departments on the USS Cerritos, because he wants to hang out with uh, Tiana. Tiana? It's not Tiana, it's Tiana. <laughs> Ta- anyway. Uh, so, in this episode, we've got uh, a reference to uh, the, pl- the pleasure planet of Risa mm-hmm. from The Next Generation, which is literally where everyone goes to have their shore leave. And on those planets, when for uh, p- those particular individuals who wish to partake in... Jahamaran, which was referenced a lot during this episode, uh, they carry around these little Horgan sculptures, which there's a big one in the fountain that he sits next to. Okay. Which is why she thought he was interested. Oh, okay. Uh, at one point, they ref- they call something the Janeway Protocol, referring to uh, mm. Captain Catherine Janeway of the, st- of the USS Voyager, which got lost in the Delta Quadrant, but was back long before this happened. Um, ex- precisely what this protocol is a reference to is not known, but there is a quote that is from the Voyager episode Parallax that 
is probably the closest we can get to a reference, especially with what happens. She said in that episode, In command school, they taught us to always remember that maneuvering a starship is a very delicate process. But over the years, I've learned that sometimes you just have to punch your way through. That's what I thought. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, they tried that and it didn't work. No, they didn't. (laughs) Uh, in one point of the episode, Mariner shows that she is familiar with Captain James Tiberius Kirk's unique fighting style, known to the fans as Kirk Fu. Oh, okay. She even says when she makes that attack, she says, Kirk hands. That makes sense. <laughs> that totally makes sense now. The beginning of the uh, episode references the uh, little teaser thing with the little weird energy creature. Yeah. Uh, that is a reference to a season two of uh, Next Generation episode called The Child, in which a creature very similar to that impregnated uh, Deanna Troy, and she had a son by it. Oh. 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 Didn't, the son didn't last the episode. Okay. Interesting. He grew up and then left as, as the energy sphere again, because it literally was him, the, the energy sphere. It's a weird episode. Okay, that's that's interesting. Mike, what happened? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Mariner, in her, as she's napping there on the uh, shuttlecraft before they take off, yeah. says a couple lines re- reminiscent uh, from the Wrath of Khan, including uh, marooned on a desert planet. Yes. Uh, the moons of Nibia, something else. I can't remember what the uh, third thing she said was. And then she mentions that she's been having this awesome dream lately. <laughs> uh, speaking of Wrath of Khan... Uh, in the epi- in this episode, there's a point where uh, Rutherford is he's trying different things in security, and he gets put into a security simulation called Smorgasborg, which he gets um, attacked by Borg, a lot of Borg, and they put tri- people in this particular simulation to treat to teach uh, people <laughs> in order ha- to uh, deal with defeat. Yeah. Much like the Kobayashi Maru scenario from Wrath of Khan and Star Trek 2009. Uh, they mention a character by the name of Castro who served on the Enterprise for like a second, as they refer to it. This could be either the Enterprise D or the Enterprise E, depending on yeah. things. This is not a character I think we actually know. Uh, they refer to Section 31, the secretive organization that does all the things that Starfleet can't get its hands dirty doing. Right. And they're technically supposed to be so much of a secret that technically Boimler shouldn't know about it. Yeah, but which is everybody, everybody me. knows about Section 31. By, yeah, by this point, but yeah. It's turned into a running joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, the park in which they run into the Ferengi, uh, each of the little mountain peaks in there appears to be a reference to the Vasquez Rocks in Southern California, a very popular shooting location oh. for Star Trek. Okay. And it is where Cap it is where they shot Captain Kirk fighting the Gorn oh. in the original episode. And for those of you who are not big Trekkies, if you remember the movie Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, mm. this is where Bill this is the location where Bill and Ted die. Okay, that perfectly makes sense now. Yeah, perfectly makes sense. Of course, uh, Quimp in that in that scene is is a. Uh, Pretending to be an early Next Generation Ferengi, when in fact he's more of a DS9 era Ferengi. Hmm. And the original, when they originally introduced the Ferengi, they were supposed to be uh, replacements for the Klingons. So they went with a try a more animalistic type of yeah. troll, yeah, creatures. But throughout the, but the, they 
pretty much failed in replacing the Klingons for that particular role of enemy. Yeah, you really can't replace Klingons. You really can't. Uh, so as when they decided to bring the Ferengi back in uh, Deep Space Nine, especially with having a main character be a Ferengi, the owner of Quark's bar, Quark, yeah. the, uh, we got to learn more about the Ferengi culture, and this Ferengi acts more like the Ferengi we see in Deep Space Nine than those early TNG Ferengi. Okay. But yes, they do pretty call humans hum- humans the Humor. entire time. General Corinne is is uh, shows a return to the 24th century design for the Klingons. Hmm. Uh, of course, the 23rd century they didn't have for the original series. They didn't yeah. have uh, the technology to really do the Klingons correctly. So when they made Star Trek the motion picture, the first time we got to see Klingons in their current in the form we know, yeah, uh, they designed essentially the Klingons we know now, yeah. but most people think of it from the 24th century, and that design quit being used after Star Trek Enterprise went off the air because both J.J. Abrams in the movies and uh, the original showrunner for Discovery decided to redesign the Klingons for some unknown reason. And they both went entirely different directions. They did. So, yeah, we're back to the original Klingons, and I'd prefer we stay there. <laughs> Uh, along with the Klingons having all of their traditional weapons in this episode, right? The Andorians, uh, in the episode when they're in that big fight there, at, yeah, in in the bar, uh, you can see a bunch of them fighting with Ushan Tor ice knives that were created for Enterprise, hmm. and one of them is fighting a Lurian, which is the same race as DS9's Morn, the oh. traditional barfly on the show, okay, who never speaks hmm. but is apparently the most talkative character on the show. Okay. On the station. Uh, we also see the Evora from Star Trek Insurrection. The little frog creatures from the beginning of that movie. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, you can see them for a hot second there in front of the little Kronos. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. You also get to see the isolationist Kalons from the TNG episode Half a Life. The Arcturians, Aurelians, and even the Arilo and a Vendorian shapeshifter from Star Trek the Animated Series make an appearance. And Rockmen from a deleted scene in Star Trek for Star Trek V The Final Frontier make an appearance. Okay, they went kind of deep. They went deep. Uh, the planet that they refer to, uh, that Corinne uh, and uh, Mariner yeah. talk about going down to and got, got had all that trouble with, yeah. was named Jaxa Prime. This might be a reference to Ensign Saito Jaxa, not in the show, I mean... The writers may have used this as a reference to Ensign Saito Jaxa, who died in the TNG episode, Lower Decks, which provided the inspiration for this series. Oh, okay. So, now that I've talked my head off for about ten <laughs> minutes, which always seems to be the case with this sort of thing, yeah. what are your thoughts? Okay, so it was very interesting with the fact that you have these two, in- these two Ensigns, who one has more book experience and knowledgeable about things and you have Mariner, right? Yeah, Mariner. Mariner and what what's the Mariner name? and Boimler. Boimler. Boimler's all you know, book smarts and knows everything. You know you can learn from a book where Mariner has this be like like she said she said in this she said in uh both episode one and two mm-hmm. that she's been on several ships. She has a lot she has a lot of um She's seen things. She's seen things. She's she done, learned by doing. Yeah, she's learned by doing. And so it's this more, this contrast of these, these two characters of, 
uh, Boimler, like you said in the beginning, he's like he's doubting himself. He's mm-hmm. like, because I can't do it, I can't do it exactly right the way the manuals say you should be able to do it. And then you have Mariners is like, oh, I'm just gonna wing it, wing it, and she comes out for most of the time. She's right, and uh, I'm starting to like uh, Marina's Mariner, Marina, Mariner, Mariner. I'm trying to, I'm starting to like her character. Her, her rebellious streak is very tactfully advantageable to our characters, mm-hmm. where she knows so much more than everybody else does. And uh, she's able to kind of just blend in with everybody. Else. Well, one of the things I mentioned before with Mariners, I feel she's she's a true believer of what's of the image that Starfleet projects. Yeah, she just hates being in Starfleet because it's not the it's not actually the image they project. Right. She, uh, like I said, she's like I said in the first episode uh, or a review of the la- on the last episode, she's disillusioned. Oh yeah, she knows how to do all this stuff. But for the most part, she just no longer cares about actually following command or anything. Mm-hmm. She might be the uh, l- later on as the series goes on. I have a feeling she's going to start taking more responsibility for her actions. Yeah, because that's the only place I can see her character growth going, and she'll learn some of that from I think Boimler. Yeah, while Boimler's going to take her more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, more spontaneity yeah and uh and be able to learn from that is my hope yeah it's, it's almost like a trade-off in a way mm-hmm. they're, they're learning from each other also i would not be surprised if they end up being uh love interests at yeah. some point in the show possibly yeah because you know what they say I mean, like m- most people most people who kind of have a connection with each other they have a polar opposite attraction Whereas if you look at Ta'ana and Rutherford, they yeah. have kind of the opposite problem. They yeah. actually are a cute couple that are very much uh, they like being together, but they're very much their own their own person. Exactly. They both want to be with each other. Right. Which honestly, that's not a bad concept for a, a, a couple. No, it's not. And it's very much we're not gonna we're not gonna get to see much of a growth i think of that relationship i think we might have more of a chance that something will happen that will tear them apart Probably. they may have to come back later but we don't know in this episode i mean he goes he literally tries at rutherford actually tries every mm-hmm. single type of department which i am not sure if that's how that would actually work yeah it's it's definitely, uh, definitely. I, I can i can see maybe engineering learning command yeah, because there's plenty of engineers who we have seen take command on the show. Yeah, in the franchise, so I can see that. I can see maybe a transfer into security. Mm-hmm. Why on earth did they let him into sick bay? Is my question. Yeah, because even a nurse is going to have at least eight years of school. Yeah, learning all the weirdness of uh, all. Yeah, he does catch on quick. Yeah. And apparently his um, implant allows him to catch on to things a lot faster. Yeah. But at the same time, he knows where he's supposed to be, which is engineering. Yeah. So It's his passion. It's his heart. It is, it's his heart, and that's just what he loves to do, and that's fine. Right. I, at some point, maybe he will he could learn command, but honestly, that's not where I think he belongs. Uh, this One of the things I did find is this is actually the first episode in all of Star Trek. In which we see a character in the same episode 
or actually period, go between all three command division, uh, yeah. three divisions on a, on a starship. So hmm. I do. That was po- interesting. I do want to point out the fact that like every time Ru- Rutherford, 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 Rutherford. Thank you, Rutherford. Um. Like, whenever he goes into a different department, and anytime he leaves it, it's like, everybody's like, what? And they're so excited. He's yeah. like, oh, you'll do great in this next department. I'm like, well, except for sick base. She was just happy to yeah. see him gone. Yeah, and he get out of here. nearly <laughs> caused the guy to die from bad bedside manner. <laughs> Which, admittedly, that's probably, he's a... he's an engineer. He's not going to have good bedside manner. No, he's, he's, he's very... <laughs> On the nose about things. Yeah, exactly. Oh, this warp core is doing this. And it's like, oh, I yeah. need to do this. Be like, wait, those are dilithium burns? How are you still alive? <laughs> that was funny. That yes. was kind of funny. It's like, oh my gosh, dude, you need to learn bedside manners. or Yeah, or like, you're not going to make... And that's the thing. Being a doctor is obviously not what he should be doing. Right. There are more science stuff things on that ship than just sick bay. Yeah, he could have gone to. They could have put him in astro uh, cartography, uh, the bio labs, a lot of places where you don't actually deal with the people. True, but no, they just throw him into sick bay because they need an excuse for the for the Cation to show up again, <laughs> for the angry cat. Yeah, which I'm fine with that. I actually like the angry cat. <laughs> it's 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 definitely interesting because, like, for the limited amount of search I've seen, but okay, now we have a cat anthropomorphic cat. Well, for the most part, the Cations, with the exception of, like, background characters, have yeah. never been used in Star Trek. Okay. They were introduced for the animated series, the original animated series, and, uh, because the animated series could do aliens, stranger type of aliens than they could do in a live-action show. Yeah. So they went a little crazy. Hmm. And thankfully, the Cations were something they could do prosthetically, at least a little bit, because we do get to see them like in the background of Star Trek Four mm-hmm. and in a couple other places. Yeah, the weird shape shifting alien has been seen in different places, but this is a different shape shifter than all the other shape shifters we've yeah. seen. Also, I do like the fact that the security sh- chief, instead of saying "Oh my God," like a human would, yeah. They say by the prophets because he's a Bajoran, and, and that's okay, their gods. That that makes he sense. He took his own gods' names in vain. Yeah, I was I was like, wait a minute, be like, I recognize when someone says that. And it's like that's from Deep Space Nine. It's from Deep Space Nine. He is a Bajoran. You can tell because he's got the uh, the uh, that's right the nose okay, ridges, yeah. and he's wearing that earring on. His, yeah, I was on, I was like, okay, is he just mad because he's doing this number the entire time? No, that's <laughs> literally. How you that they just have these ridges on their nose? Yeah, that's okay. What, that's the physical. Yeah, that that was my first reaction. It was that like, was their man, forehead. This guy's angry. <laughs> that was their forehead. Of, well, he's designed to kind of look angry. Yeah, he is the. When you consider that the Bajorans are supposed to be a peaceful race, but yet did have to fight off the Cardassians uh, in order to get the get the Cardassian occupation off their planet. Right. There's some a little more. Angrier ones, yeah. let's say. Some that I are not you. very peaceful. I gotcha. But, all right. So, anyway. Overall, be like, this was a fun episode. Uh, we got, you know, some character growth. We got to learn more about our characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marina, we got to learn a lot more because she has these, all these connections. Uh, with the uh, the Klingon, I think he's an ambassador? They 
don't I think actually say what he is. He's just uh I think that's pretty much what he is because they were needing him for some kind of peace talks. Yeah. Oh, also they mentioned the Kitimura Accords that they from Star Trek Six that they might be breaking by losing the losing the guy. That's right. Which yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't think that's in the Kitimura Accords, but okay. Yeah. But it's the it's so interesting to see her development, to see um Bornler's development, seeing where he he stumbles and he falls, and where it's uh Marina trying to, you know, build him back up. And it's it's always interesting when you have the, those character dynamics. Mm-hmm. They're again kind of reading what I said earlier. Yeah, because she I think actually does care for Boimler, even she though she does gives him a hard time. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the other episodes. Now, when we started this, I was like, when I when I realized, okay, the creators behind this and more, okay, mm-hmm. this is more Rick and Morty, and. I was like, okay, am I really going to enjoy this or I'm going to be... Admittedly, uh, I was worried, too, that this mm. was going to be a more comedy-focused... Mm-hmm. Let's put, let, let's just destroy all sense of continuity just so we can have a, have a joke. Yeah. Kind of a show. And that's not what it is. They're actually just really digging deep and playing with it. Yeah. Because the only thing I... Like I said, the only thing I saw in this that really makes me question if Starfleet would work this way yeah, is having Rutherford go through every, de- every division on the show at one time. Right. Or why they let him in sick bay as a doc, as a nurse at all. <laughs> hey, they just need a warm body sometime. I understand this. And he were training and maybe this was just to s- a test to see if he could do it. Right. And then maybe he would, start learning how to do all this stuff but it still seems kind of odd that you chose this for his science division tra- uh, trial and not something like astrometrics that's what it's called astrometrics uh, okay not astro navigation what was i saying either way but astrometrics i got you so either way great. i think you'd do good in astrometric astrometrics <laughs> <laughs> either way great episode i can't wait for episode three to come out and so we will, yeah, we will review that when it comes out. Alrighty. So join us next week for the episode Temporal Edict. That's interesting. The, the preview at the very end of the episode was like, okay, so we get the second in command or the second mm-hmm. or number one. That's that's what they call number one. Uh, well, it's the first officer. First officer. Picard called his first officer number one. Yeah, that's why. That that's why I always that's say you're number one. Confused, but yeah, yeah. But either way, is uh, kind of looking forward to it. We yeah. we we get some more of the the silly hijinks the show has, and especially since the word temporal is in the name of this. Yeah, kind of tells me, oh, a time travel episode. Oh boy, <laughs> we're gonna get to go more into Trek lore, maybe possibly. We'll see. Anyway, <laughs> join us next time for that. All right, thanks, guys. Come, Jacob. We must prepare for next week. Prepare for what, Drew? Same thing we do every week, Jacob. Record a podcast! Oh, boy! So where can they find you, Jacob? They can find me on Facebook at Jacob B. Heron and Jacob's Daily Art Corner, my personal art Facebook page. On Twitter at Jacob B. Heron. On Instagram at Jacob B. Heron. And on Letterboxd at Jacob Heron. Where can they find you, Drew? Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Drew Dodgen. You can also find my Facebook page at Drew's Photo Bin, where I upload uh, my photography. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at GGeorge759 and Twitter at GGeorge759. 
Where can they find us, Jacob? You can also visit our website, thecellcast.podbean.com, where you will find every episode we released and links to listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Our RSS feed, if we aren't in your favorite podcast app directory, please share, review, and subscribe to us there and share us with your friends. You will also find a link to our Facebook group, the Double Feature Podcast Community, where we talk about both animated and live-action movies. We share this with our other podcasts, which we do with Jacob's brother Jim, at uh, the Movie of the Week podcast, where we talk about live-action movies. You can also email us at thecellcastpodcast at gmail.com. Also, please like our page on Facebook. We try to post about upcoming movies. If you comment on that movie's post before we record, we'll read your comments in the episode. And remember, every time we say The Cellcast, that is with a single L. L.